Having lived as an openly gay man for almost 30 years, I know the incredible progress that has been made in those 30 years for all sexual minorities. Gay men and lesbians were some of the first to experience this progress. Progress for bisexuals came slower and slowest of all. A full understanding of transgender persons and their needs has yet to be realized. Even some in the gay community have been slow to recognize our transgender siblings. Even we have tried to push people into a gender box when we know that gender is fluid just as sexual orientation is fluid. And I know that religion, for the most part, has not helped transgender persons thrive, like its disdain for non-heteronormative orientations. Religion has hurt more transgender persons than it has helped. But that, thankfully, is changing. This Sunday, after the Pride celebration in Boston, I want to tell you just a bit more about the transgender siblings that I love. And I think the best way to do that is by using their own words. Listen, then, to the experience of a few transgender persons as they wrestle with faith. Justin Tannis remembers, when I first began taking testosterone nearly 20 years ago, the changes in my body were more rapid than I anticipated. In fact, about six weeks into the process, I walked out of my office door and was startled to see a strange man standing across from me. A couple of seconds later, I realized that the stranger was my own reflection in the mirrored window. At a time when my outward appearance was transforming and people's perceptions of me were in flux, I had a sure sense that God knew exactly who I was and loved me just as I am. This certainty gave me a solid sense of identity in the midst of change. Raised in a devout, progressive Christian home that emphasized God's love rather than God's punishment, Tannis continues, I never felt condemned by God. My transition from female to male was a response to God's calling to me to make this journey, and it has blessed me. My experiences of seeing the world and it being perceived as both female and male have broadened my ability to relate to others. Joan Roughgarden says, I remember vividly how the church enabled my transition. On one of San Francisco's sunny and windy days in June 1997, I marched in my first gay pride parade. I hadn't yet come out publicly, and I was terrified. The parade danced and pranced and strode, from the Civic Center down Market Street to the ferry building on the shores of San Francisco Bay. I trotted past deep crowds on both sides of the street, mixing drag, leather, kink, every conceivable permutation of sex and gender, but I was lost. Sure, I had friends in transgender San Francisco, but that was parties, not real life. I wondered whether I was about to step off a cliff transitioning not into living as my true self, but rather into dying as a despised and humiliated fool who had completely and compulsively thrown away 
a perfectly good life, career, and family. The parade terminated where various organizations had set up booths to recruit members or to sell products, Joan remembers. There I found a table saying, The Episcopal Church welcomes you. I was aghast. Don't all Christians hate us? Don't they hate transsexuals especially? A welcome seemed too much to ask for. I'm a cradle Episcopalian, Joan explains. My parents had homeschooled me when we lived in the Philippines where they were missionaries when I was a child. Could I find a home here in the church? The table was staffed by the late Bishop Otis Charles, together with other gay men and lesbians from the Church of St. John the Evangelist in the Mission District near the Castro. I asked Bishop Charles, are transgender people welcome too? He replied, yes. I pressed, do you have any transgender members of your church? He answered, speaking for the others, Actually, no, we've never seen any of them. Every Sunday for a year, I drove from the peninsula where I lived up to the city to attend church. I cried throughout every service for the first two months. From relief and gratitude that I had found a place of acceptance. And then there was communion, Joan remembers. There I stood before God. Was I really Joan, or was I what my previous name would have, would have implied, a cross-dressing, delusional imposter? This was the moment of truth. If I could take communion as Joan, then I really am Joan. My first communion as Joan became the precise moment of my real transition my public transition with a legal name and gender change followed a year later. In a recent issue of the UU World magazine, Elaine McArdle reports, over the past decade, Carolyn Wolf Gould has become a leader in transgender health care and an advocate for transgender rights and inclusion, including at the UU Society of Oneonta, New York which has put significant focus on transgender rights and has at least five transgender people in the congregation. Carolyn is a very modest person, but I think one reason we have as many openly transgender people in our congregation is because of her work in our community, said Reverend Craig Schwallenberger, the Society's minister for the past seven years. Under his leadership and with the help of Wolf Gould and a transgender and transgender members, the congregation has focused on education about transgender issues, hosting workshops and a film series. It has created a long-term plan to support LGBTQ rights and is taking the lead on establishing an LGBTQ center in town, much as the congregation created a free health clinic some years ago. Carolyn told the following story to Elaine. She said, Ten years ago, I got a phone call that would change my life. A transgender man who needed a refill for his prescription for testosterone 
a hormone aiding his transition, called to see if I would help. Though sympathetic to his request, Carolyn had no training or experience in treating transgender patients. I knew nothing about it, so I told him I couldn't take care of him, she said. But the caller was very persistent. Our office has always been supporting, supportive of LGBTQ rights, including placing welcoming stickers on the office door. He said, I saw the stickers on your office door, and I have nowhere else to go. If you say no, I have to drive to Philadelphia to get testosterone. Are you willing to learn? Because I am willing to teach you. Today, Carolyn serves 335 transgender and gender non-conforming patients. Some of these patients travel long distances to see her, including one who drives over 600 miles. When asked in an interview, how might churches support the safety and health of transgender people, both those who are public in their experience and those who are not. Tracy Nolan, a minister in the UCC who works with trans young people as a pediatric chaplain replied, ministers can consider how gender is listed on church forms, used in hymns or impacts youth programming. Preachers can refer to trans identities in their sermons in an affirming and normalizing way. Church bathrooms can be unisex or family. A trans flag can be added next to the rainbow flag on the church's marquee. Churches can participate or host events with trans organizations. At the local, national, regional, and international level, church members can support policy, legislation, and human rights standards that uphold the rights of individuals who identify as transgender This might mean engaging in conversations at the school board to encourage policies that respect trans students, supporting an advocacy organization in letter writing, or advocating for insurance coverage for gender confirmation surgery on church health insurance plans. It is Pride Month. Let us love our transgender siblings. Let us listen to them, help them, celebrate with them, and protect them. Let us be open to the many ways gender and gender expression bless us all. May we, too, be at home in ourselves. And in being at home, may we make a home for others. So be it. Amen.